Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Start Somewhere for Marie Claire with me, Sarah Vaughan. And this week, I am delighted to have one of my all-time heroines join. Uh, she's looking surprised at that. She didn't know, <laughs> but she really is. Um, and it's Dillis Williams, a Professor of Fashion Design for Sustainability and Director uh, of the Centre for Sustainable Fashion. Hi, Dillis. How are you this morning? Good morning, Sarah. Oh, thank you. That's very, very kind of you. But, you know, lo- uh, amazing women together, hey? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, if, I, I mean, I really have to say if, if, if there's one woman that everyone talks about when it comes to sustainable fashion, all, all roads always point back to you. And I mean, you know, and the first question we always kind of ask on this podcast is how did you get started? I mean, was, was you know, were, were you a born activist? <laughs> you know, did you, did, were you born loving fashion? <laughs> Um, well, maybe the reason why people know my name is because, you know, I am a sociable person and I think, you know, being sociable is in my blood. You know, my family uh, are an amazing set of people who, you know, there's, there was never never a dull moment in my house growing up and there were usually various people in the house that I may or may not have known. So I think, uh, you know, from a perspective of being gregarious, having a kind of conviviality in my uh, upbringing has really been kind of so important to me because we're you know we do things together as people um, but also I think growing up the sort of social element of care was really really uh, a very strong part of my childhood and I didn't realize it at the time you know we'd have people staying at the house for various different reasons you wouldn't question it as a child but I think that sort of double thing of being, you know, always preparing for a party, making something, doing something, doing things together with people um, and the idea of kind of things that felt right and were important is, is something that, you know, I absolutely owe to my family completely. Um, but then as far as fashion is concerned, I mean, I also grew up, I'm, I'm at, you know, the age of uh, 55 now. I grew up at a time when fashion and music were the way you could talk out about injustice about things that are important to you you know I, I I grew up in the middle of the countryside so in a hamlet actually didn't even have wow. shops or church or anything there was it was just you know a few houses so we were very sociable but um we people came from near and far um but from a really early age I was very interested in that and I can't remember how or why I knew about it but I I remember getting the first copy of ID magazine through the post oh my goodness I was just you know incredible to see these street shots of people rather than the sort of you know you've got Vogue but you've got this new magazine and I and I yeah the copies used to come through the post they were stapled together you know, somebody obviously sat there with a photocopier and that was just incredibly exciting at a time where you know it was it was a time with, uh, it was the middle of Thatcher years and these people were talking out through music, through fashion. Um, so that also, I, I, was, I was able to have an insight into fashion quite early as well because my best friend, her dad, uh, he owned clubs. So from way, way before, even, even with makeup and, and clothes on that a girl could get into a club, I could get into clubs because of wow. that. So I saw amazing punk bands, um, we went up to Birmingham, which is the big metropolis. Um, and uh, so I think that, yeah, and th- those factors uh, kind of really shaped my, my upbringing. Um, 
And then I was really, you know, I basically wanted to study fashion, but I also love music. So I, I, I applied to Manchester because at the time the Hacienda was the place where things were happening uh, that were kind of different from, from the sort of mainstream. And so I, yeah, I, I studied in Manchester. I worked at the Hacienda. I met some amazing people. And so, yeah, that sort of intertwining of what you care about, what you wear, what you say, the music that's going on, the parties that you're creating, whether it's a sort of, you know, a party of a club or whether it's kind of walking down the street saying this isn't okay. I think, yeah, they sort of melded together. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And, you know, were your parents supportive about you going to fashion? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my... my uh, my mum's my, my side, uh, my mum and my grandma didn't get a chance to, to go to university. So they were really super supportive. Um, and my grandma, you know, talking about fashion, so I mean, my grandma was a maker. So, you know, she made a lot of our, our clothes when I was small. She taught me how to sew. So she, she was really supportive. My mum was super supportive um, of me being able to go out and do my thing. Uh, yeah. you know, she uh, didn't necessarily get a chance to do some of that stuff. So she was probably more excited about it than I was. It's like, go, go and do it. <laughs> um, and my dad, my dad was super cool. He was, he was actually, what well, you probably now call a product designer, but he, you know, he did technical drawing and, um, and, and worked for a company. He actually unfortunately died when I was young. So um, he wasn't around by the time I went to university, but uh, in my early years, yeah, he was, he was supportive of, of, of anything I did pretty much. Well, most things. <laughs> how, how incredible. And, 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 and clearly this is where you get your creative flair and enthusiasm from, which is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a mixture of things, isn't it? And, you know, on my dad's side, big Irish family who were, you know, very different from my mum's side of the family. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's how it all mixes together. Yeah. Always, always such a special blend. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and so... Then you go to Manchester, which is kind of the rocking centre. Uh, you're studying uh, fashion. And, and, and then what do you decide to do with the kind of fashion activist hat on you? Um, I think that it was, it wasn't, it was more implicit than explicit in, in my first few years. And, you know, it's, it's amazing working with students now who come into uh, university realizing that they can use fashion as a real means for social mm. change to talk about the world. I think I grew up and I, to begin with, I maybe separated those things. I, that was my personal life. That was kind of what I cared about. But I knew that to have a, or I thought that to have a profession in fashion, I maybe had to go down a more mainstream route. Um, so uh, I did think that I was going to stay in Manchester because I loved it. But, you know, most, most design studios for most companies are in London. Uh, I needed to earn some cash. I had, you know, I needed to earn some money. So I found myself in London <laughs> um, and worked for my, my first job um, was a junior designer at Jigsaw. And yeah. whilst on the one hand, Jigsaw is not exactly sort of breaking the mold, on ex, you know, from looking at it, Internally, actually, it was John Robinson who owns Jigsaw. And it was a small company then. Was his whole ethos was very much about everybody working together. We all got around the table every Monday morning, looked at what had sold, what hadn't sold, talked about why, how. It was it was kind of like a family business. 
Mm. Um, so the ethos of Jigsaw was incredible. And, and you know, it, it was experimental. You know, he I was a junior designer and, and, you know, if I put forward ideas, he'd be like, well, let's try it, which wow. as somebody coming straight out of university so was kind of like, wow, okay. God, that's going to be in our shop on the King's Road sort of thing. So it, it, was, it was really exciting times for Jigsaw and we worked very closely with the magazines. So quite a few of the stylists I knew personally. So they'd be like, we want to do a story on such and such. And so we'd be like, well, let's go and, let's go and make something in the, in the, uh, in the sample room now. So <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a time where you could do things quite spontaneously. And we were, it was small enough um, to be able to do that. All the factories I worked with were in London. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. you know, as a designer, it was amazing. I could go and spend time. The pattern cutters would be telling me, you can't do it like that. You know, you'd learn from each other. Uh, why don't you do it like this? And, you know, being, you know, with with the people who are doing the cutting, seeing things being made. And that also was maybe a turning point for me as far as your, your question about activism is concerned, because it was when things suddenly started to get disconnected where things were starting to be made elsewhere. You weren't having those direct relationships. You were realizing the hierarchies were setting in. Buyers were expecting things from other people without realizing the consequences. So um, I went from Jigsaw to Whistles, which again was quite a small company at that time, um, uh, making in the UK and in Portugal. Um, But then, you know, from there, I, I, I had more of a realization of what was going on in a bigger picture. But I have to say, my how it all came together, me understanding actually my own personal ethics and how I could think about them through my work was with Catherine, Catherine Hamnett. Yeah. I mean, uh, Catherine's amazing. Uh, and it was going to work there with her that I realized, wow, I can actually put all of this together into one thing. Yeah, and, and I mean, Catherine was really... you know the first like iconic sort of fashion activist when it came to climate and 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 human rights and and and, and, you know absolutely extraordinary so maybe you know not necessarily all of our listeners may have heard of her so do 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 do, do, like expand on on, on On Catherine Catherine Hamnett well (laughs) check check out Catherine Hamnett now and her whole story because uh you know Catherine Catherine's you know went to art school she was a born activist and I think she was kind of uh questioning everything from a very early age maybe more confident yeah we definitely way more confidently than I was I was kind of thinking that I had to kind of keep the two things separate but she uh she was understood the political message that you could wear literally on your chest. <laughs> Literally. Uh, you know, anybody who hasn't hasn't seen it, the iconic image um, of Catherine shaking hands with Margaret Thatcher at 10 Downing Street, uh, uh, check it out. I will say no more, uh, uh, which is just, yeah, incredibly powerful image. She is, she is an incredibly powerful woman. Yeah. And she also was the first person, as far as I know, in fashion to to sort of make that commitment to doing something well, whatever it took. So there's a lot of talk at the moment about degrowth. There's a lot of talk about uh, fashion businesses changing, but have they got the guts to really change? We went from being a really big business with licenses all around the world to being a much smaller business because the 
she couldn't be sure that they were only using organic cotton in all the licenses. She couldn't be sure that they were only using vegetarian leather. So rather than kind of try to fix it and make it better and, and work through it, she just put her hands in the air and was like, right, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, it has consequences. And it's, it was a really difficult thing for her to do. Um, and as with everything, you know, there's, there's a cause and effect, you know, people lost their jobs, which isn't, isn't good. But it's like you have to pick your battles. And for her, she was in a position that she picked that battle. And, and I think that that has shown all sorts of people across the industry that, that you, you can create change. Um, both aesthetically, from your business model, from your sourcing, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, Catherine, Catherine Hamlet is is still working really hard, both creating pieces of collections and speaking out. Um, uh, so, yeah, check no, her out. And, 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 you know, I, I, I think she's so amazing and, and, and you know, really... Yeah, you know, has has put the stake in the ground about what needed to be considered. So, I mean, Dennis, when you were working for Catherine, were you visiting all the factories? What 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 was happening? You were actually going and kind of auditing places, and actually seeing firsthand what was going on. Yeah, I mean, as as a designer, you you uh, you, you tend to either. It's, it's, I mean, whilst I always worked directly with factories for making. I didn't necessarily get that close to understanding about where materials came from. I did a little bit in Portugal. In Portugal, they're what you call vertical, where they 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 spin the yarn, they make the material, and they make the product. But they don't they don't have the whole process. They're not they're, they're not growing the cotton in Portugal. But um, with Catherine, yeah, I went out to India. I mean, you know, talking about a sort of uh, a, a, a changing moment when I realised that. Uh, the farmer suicides that were due to the farmers borrowing from Monsanto in order to buy the pesticides that would then actually also be creating uh, disease in their villages. And they were actually ending up, these farmers were, were drinking the, the pesticides to kill themselves for but three reasons. One, that they were creating harm environmentally, but they may not even have realized that directly. The, the fact that they were completely powerless these big companies were forcing them to, to buy seeds and forcing them to buy pesticides and then hiking up the interest rates. So the shame of the fact they couldn't look after their families um, and then they couldn't have a livelihood. So it's I, when I realized that I was implicated in that, um, I, 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 I was just like, well, OK, so I have to I have to I have to know more uh, was the first thing I you know. I, I've, I've got to I've got to be able to know more and understand more before I. I can make any more decisions about what I design. Terrible. And, and, and then that problem still continues to this day. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of riots happening in, in kind of Indian farmlands for precisely those factors. And, you know, most of those people are, are growing crops for, for, for our clothing. And I think, I mean, I think that's one of the things, Dillis, that, you know, people often, when they, when they shop, they just see like the dress or the thing. <laughs> in front of them but we forget that actually you know most of our dresses clothes jeans are started life as agricultural products i mean they're actually grown <laughs> every element of fashion comes from nature uh and it's yeah it's it's through creativity and labor it becomes something that you wear on your body and um and the disconnection that we have between 
the fact that we're wearing nature and and also we're representing ourselves. What we you know, you can't get closer to saying something about yourself than what you're wearing on your skin. So fashion is incredibly powerful, um, not only for us to kind of make a connection to all of these different elements of nature from different parts of the globe, but also to realize that, you know, we, we are part of nature ourselves. So uh, the environmental and social elements of, of what's great and what's destructive about nature, about fashion, um, are all tied up together, the social and the ecological. And in fact, you know, right now, um, more than ever, the sort of convergence of realizing that the injustice in the world is all tied together. Uh, you know, the um, people who are, are discriminated against racially um, from their, for their gender uh, are more likely to be um, in, a, in a place where they've got uh, the direct consequences of climate change and are far more directly um, affected by climate change than anybody else. So the exacerbation of all of these different crises um, hits the, those that are already been discriminated against for one reason even harder. So it's even more important now that the different dimensions of injustice uh, come together, but also important that, you know, that fashion is something that each person on this planet can do something about every, every, you know, each clad citizen, anybody that wears clothes can make a decision about what they decide they want to wear, how they look after it, how they value it. And it's, and it's different decisions for different people. Um, but if we all kind of use, use fashion or f make sure that fashion really does uh, do its job in helping us to say who we are, you know, yeah, uh, is, stand, is, stand is, up in what you stand up for. <laughs> it's not just your purpose is in your pocket. I mean, in fashion, your purpose is your pocket, right? <laughs> yeah. Quite literally. <laughs> Quite absolutely literally. Quite often, a pocket is, is made of cotton as well, going back to yeah. our previous conversation. Um, and so how did you make the move from Catherine Hammett, Hammett into kind of essentially academia? Mm. <laughs> By accident. <laughs> 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 if you want the honest truth. Um, Always the best. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, whilst I was whilst, uh, whilst working at, with Catherine, uh, a friend of mine was working at London College of Fashion, invited me in to do uh, a kind of a guest lecture or to work with students. Uh, and it was... It was incredibly exciting to be in a space, you know, it's an experimental space in, 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 in college. So you're doing things, you're trying them out. You, you've got more freedom you have when, you, when you're working um, in industry. Um, but so I was really excited by that, but I was also really shocked. I felt like I was naive that none of the students knew anything about the implications of the decisions they were making. There was nothing in the curriculum nothing in, in, in cultural studies or critical studies um, uh, about the, uh, the, the impacts, the, the, the kind of decisions, the idea of, of what is it that you, that you actually want to express about yourself. There's, I mean, amazing courses where, where you're looking at how you want to express ideas, concepts, historical notions of, of you know, when it comes to decolonizing the, the, fa the fashion curriculum, 
there were the beginnings of that and, and outside of the making process. So there were some conversations, but they were very much about almost risk minimization. How can I, how can, what, what material do I need to use in order to be able to, to, to do a better job rather than how can I make the decisions myself about the things I care about? So yeah, to cut a long story short, um, I went from doing a little bit of work with a few students to, um, I mean, when I think back now, it, it does seem, <laughs> it does seem slightly uh, incredible that it happened. But um, in 2007, um, it was the centenary of London College of Fashion and the kind of the, 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 the motto was fashioning the future. Uh, and that kind of, that really, uh, yeah, it, it kind of riled me a little bit. I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. If we're fashioning the future, we've got to completely change what we teach, how we teach, who we teach it with, um, and what the sort of purpose of our teaching is. So um, I, uh, yeah, I, there was a new head of college, um, Francis Corner. I went to see her. And, and this definitely wasn't just me. You know, I'd been speaking to people like Lucy Siegel. Uh, I've been speaking to people outside of academia, inside of academia, inside industry. And everybody was like, we need to kind of get with this more. We need to know more. We need to kind of have a deeper understanding of uh, what it means to design, what good design means. So I went to Francis having had these conversations with people and said, we should set up a center for sustainable fashion. Um, I don't think, I don't know if I use exactly those words, but pretty much that. And to my absolute surprise, she said, yeah, we should. <laughs> um, so that was the moment. So I was only working freelance um, with the, with the yeah. university and I was still working with Catherine. And in fact, when, when I first set the center up, I was still uh, juggling the two things, but then it was like, you know what? This is the most exciting thing I've ever had the opportunity to do. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's how it started. And right from the beginning, it was always about, let's take a pluralistic approach let's work with people that are already working in industry at different sizes let's work with students let's work with ngos and charities and also let's do some new research so it always had these different kind of um tendrils to it uh, which makes it very complex but makes it incredibly exciting most research centers uh start with a piece of research and then think about how they can apply it to the curriculum whereas this always started in that messy place of how can you create the conditions where different kinds of people can speak to each other, they can agree, disagree, work things out. Um, and yeah, so that's that's how Central Stable Fashion started. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I kind of use the term academia a bit lightly because, I mean, you know, what you're not doing is, I mean, this is very much action-based. I mean, it, you know, it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, you're really teaching these students about sourcing, about the usage of materials around, uh, you know, around kind of human rights. And you're also working with, with corporate partners, aren't you? So, so maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, how it works with the students and the corporate partners and, and, and who you work with. Yeah. Um, uh, as I said, right from the beginning, I really wanted to be able to find a way to get all sorts of different kinds of people in the room. Uh, and, and yeah, get, you know, maybe just, you know, Personally, I, I think it's, it is really important to make sure that we're not just speaking to a few people or doing th something in one particular place. I, I wanted to, to see 
how how it feels to be thinking about these things when you're working in a big business and what you can and can't do um, in a small business and what you can and can't do. So right from the beginning, we we've been also really fortunate. I think you know you think a big business is this thing. Actually, it's a it, you know there's amazing people yeah. working in a particular studio <laughs> and they might be working having similar ideas to. A, a small designer that's in a studio with two other people. So um, for me, it's very much about working with people, with teams, with de- and with designers, basically. So I've always worked with designers in, in these different places. So we've worked with designers at Nike uh, that uh, has a you know a, an amazing kind of approach to experimentation on the one hand, but on the other hand, they are absolutely part of this system that is about churning out more stuff. So the tensions that those designers feel um, is important for us to understand. So, you know, our graduates are going to go out into those jobs. So how do they have the skills to be able to change things within a big system and also within a a small system? Our our designers also go out and start their own businesses. So, you know, I have a particular love of working with um, small designers who are just incredible. And since the beginning, we've worked with um, small designers and we've got a big program at the moment called Fostering Sustainable Practices where we're working with a number of small designers that really are creating change but in ways that don't necessarily get recognized so on the one hand yes you've got to have the certifications yes you've got to have the the, the rubber stamp on things but actually the ethos of your work and how you treat people and deciding to stay small or deciding to diversify in different ways rather than only making product. These uh, hybrid designers are incredible. They're making things, they're speaking out, they're, they're teaching, they're doing something in their local community. So we've got in the next few months, the outcomes of this project will come out. They'll show that the definition of what it means to be a fashion designer is completely different from the sort of conventional dictionary definition. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that's really important to know. And at the other hand, yeah, we've got really long, great relationships with um, businesses like Kering. Um, and it does take time to be able to build up that trust so that you can be honest with each other about the things that are difficult. Um, but we've we've built up that trust and we've worked with them um, for an extended amount of time. They work with us also. They were really keen for us to develop ways in which people could learn. So um we, we developed an open source course with them. And I think it was, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, a co-creative course between people in academia and people in, working in, in business was a really powerful thing because then you've got the, the tension of, you know, what it's actually like, you know, on a day-to-day basis, yeah. plus what, what you dream and what you imagine. And that course went from something we were teaching in a classroom to something that we put online, uh, open source. And, I have to say, I've been totally bowled over. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've become, obviously we're all digital people, but uh, I'm, I'm very much a maker. And this has gone to 192 countries. We've got, you know, over 70,000 people taking part. So, mm-hmm. and the fact that online now people can speak to each other about what they're doing. So we couldn't have done that without those kinds of partnerships. Yeah. And, and does, can anyone join that course who's, who's interested Absolutely. It's, it's, it's free. It's on a platform called Future Learn. Uh, Future Learn has all sorts of courses about lots of different things. Um, but yeah, if you just tap into Future, you know, Future Learn, uh, Fashion and Sustainability, or the actual course title is Luxury Fashion in a Changing World. Um, and we're now also uh, developing some more courses. 
uh, we've gone from it being something that we've developed between us and caring to developing with, with much wider group of people from different parts of the world, different places, different perspectives. So we've got four new courses coming out, Fashion Values Nature, Fashion Values Society, Fashion Values Culture, and Fashion Values Economy. So they're coming out over the next few months. Oh my God, that's so exciting. I can't wait. <laughs> that's it's, so cool. I mean, it, 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 it's so kind of impressive what you do. And I mean, you know, kind of, you know, the extraordinary pace and drive and, and, <laughs> and inspiration that constantly comes from, from, from you in the college. It's, it, it's quite amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, you know, it's the people I work with. I'm, I'm privileged and honoured to work with some incredible people, incredible people at the centre, outside the centre, amazing students. And I mean, students are the, are the ones as well that kind of, you know, they, they show, you know, they, they, they're the ones that give me hope on the days where it kind of feels really tricky because there are those days. <laughs> and, and actually turning to kind of the students, really the future. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, 2030 is not that far away. I mean, you know, the fashion industry, what is it? Like a $2.5 trillion industry. It's one of the world's largest industries. And we, we tend to forget that, um, yeah. but, but in totality it is. I mean, you know, we, we really need to make saving the planet fashionable. As you said, you know, like fashion is nature. <laughs> Yeah. The one should not destroy the other. I mean, it, it should support and reinforce and champion the other. I mean, what do you see as kind of like, you know, the future of, of fashion? Do you, do you feel that the fashion industry can pivot? And how can we do that? It can. It's whether or not it's got the will to do so. It absolutely can. It can do it right now. Um, and as you say, you know, for an industry that's, you know, it's the seventh largest industry in the world, one in six people work in, in, in fashion and textiles in the world. And uh, yet because of you know, all sorts of reasons, including the fact that it's seen as maybe a, a female uh, industry, even though it's, 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 the, it's mainly men that, that own the most money, but I won't get into that one. Um, well, I could get into that one. Maybe I should get into that one, but um, uh, it's, it, it's an industry that also is, is about change on the surface, but underneath, it hasn't changed its its kind of modus operandi. You know, it puts it puts economic growth at the at the, set, the middle centre, and it has uh, blinkers on that, that that don't actually count the cost of other things. But that's that's kind of coming home to roost. You know, yes. I don't speak to any business now that doesn't realise that that's got to change. Um, and I think the convergence of climate crisis, personal health crisis societal crisis of, 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 of social and racial justice and the convergence of the fact that technologies that exist are now being used in communication, uh, in manufacturing and production, in, in energy uh, creation, in ways that, you know, are going to change how we eat, how we, what we live, how we live and what we wear. Um, so this is fundamental shift in, in the world and the fashion sector has a chance to kind of go with that in a in the right direction, or it ha it will either be the demise of the fashion sector, or you know potentially you know if, if all sectors don't just keep clinging on to the old way of doing things and thinking that economic growth and extractive economies are the are the way forward, then it'll be you know without being too dramatic, it will be the demise of all of us. You know, there's been previous civilizations that have gone down. Um, 
but I do I do hope that we do have the will to let go of some of the things that that we thought were important um, and realize that you know there's there's a different kind you know life is wealth and health is wealth and you know I was uh, speaking to somebody the other day about the fact that some you know in some parts of the world now we do see that you know the quality of life index is being shown by governments and businesses. Um, there was a lot of, of, of surveys at the beginning of COVID where people were saying they don't want to go back to thinking that you know their economic uh, position is the only measure of, of, of yes. what's important in life. So, you know, social shift and cultural shift will create shift in production, will create shift in in in, in political. Uh, will so I think that's also why fashion is so incredibly important because you can change cultures if it suddenly becomes socially unacceptable uh, to be doing something that is destructive then then the fashion industry is going to have to switch and that's that switch is coming you only need to speak to any any student uh, that that I that I deal with and and they they want that they change they don't want to go into an industry that is destroying their planet the one that they can't uh, be part of and the industry needs creatives so without creatives uh that the industry will will dry up yeah I, I remember doing a workshop with 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 um you know um a company and and we had some of your students come and they were so inspirational and extraordinary and i can just remember you know, one of the students said you know i haven't actually bought any new clothes for three years they couldn't believe it I mean, they, they just were like, but you study fashion. And she was like, yes, and I love fashion and yeah. I love clothes. But, you know, that is my contribution. I just buy vintage, I swap, I rent, you know. I mean, it, it, it was really kind of just such a fundamental moment. And I think, you know, that brings us to, to kind of the point in, 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 our, in our podcast where, you know, I'm really going to ask you, I mean, a lot of people want to, 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 to make change, you know. so what is your kind of top tip or advices and and, and i'm not going to limit you one to people who want to start somewhere how, how do they start yeah well and i think the, the great thing is that everybody can do something and it doesn't have to all be the same thing because yeah right. it would be really dull if we all thought we had to do the same thing or uh use exactly the same material etc i think the, the the first thing absolutely has to be to decide what you know think about what it is you you care about in the world and think about whether what you're buying and what you're wearing represents you. Uh, and if you don't know new, because it, you know, it's not easy, it's not easy to, to, to look online, see something that looks great and think, mm, does this represent me? You can look at it aesthetically, but does it from a, from a deeper level? A lot more companies now are saying what it is that they're, they're about. Sometimes you only need to scratch the surface a bit and realize that there's a load of bullshit there. So you can walk away. Um, uh, but there's some amazing companies now doing really incredible things. So um, as I said, we work with a lot of small companies. And I think that you can find out, especially now because of social media. So you know, a company like Birdsong, um, a UK-based uh, um, business that is working with people in communities where they there are no jobs and so they're upskilling them they're working with materials that they're they're sourcing ethically but they talk about it on their instagram or whatever so you you can find out quite quickly now about the things that are credible and it, you know we're all savvy people you can kind of you can work out who really is <laughs> the corporate bullshit from the actual real action right <laughs> yeah. you can 
but also uh you know uh it's 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 about how as you said you know with a student that hadn't bought anything for three years you know i think we've got short memories you know when i when i grew up it wasn't about going out every week and buying something new we messed you know messed about with what we got we bought things from jumble sales car boot sales vintage whatever charity shops a lot of 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 the stock that we had then was was better quality because it was made differently so you know i know that people say oh it's it's not it's more difficult now because um second hand isn't necessarily so well but, but there is a load of great gear out there uh there, you know there's amazing new new ways of being able to swap things you know i used to swap with friends but now you know you've got all of these different sites where you can exchange things you can buy and sell etc there's there's more ch- opportunity now to think differently about fashion than there was 10 years ago um, yet the problem is bigger than it was 10 years ago. So we do need to, to kind of look at what we can each do. And it's, it's about all of us. It's about every, each one of us as, as a citizen. The other thing, sorry, I'm going to get carried away here, but let, I refuse to be defined by, as a consumer. Right. Talk about <laughs> We're citizens. We, we take, but we give as well. We contribute to society. We contribute through our taxes to the to the government, we contribute to our, our local communities. We we're recipients, yeah, but we we're also contributors. So uh, yeah, I think the first thing is to yeah refuse to be called a consumer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm totally behind that one. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Oh, Dillis, you know, sadly we've come to the end. You and I could talk for a very long time on this subject and, and, and no doubt will in the near future. But thank you so much for joining us and, and thank you for all that you do and, and all that you inspire, you know, us in, in, you know, with and, and, and for being such a leading light in this area. Oh, well, thank you, Sarah. It's an absolute pleasure and joy. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.